Welcome to Rise Up For You, a unique podcast dedicated to uplifting women in their day-to-day life, but open to all to enjoy and share. My name is Natalina, the founder of Rise Up For You. Through interviews with various experts and professionals on relationships, investing, self-worth, entrepreneurship, love, and health, this podcast is committed to empowering and spreading knowledge and motivation to all. Rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater tomorrow. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Natalina with Rise Up For You. For those of you that don't know me, welcome back. So today's episode is something we have not touched on yet. How many of you guys have that fear or intimidation of money? Trading your money, investing your money, money management. Well, today this episode is going to help you. Our guest, Linda Rashke, has been professionally trading since 1981. Her fund has been ranked 17 out of 4,500 for best five-year performance by Barclays Hedge. And Linda is the co-author of Street Smarts, High Probability Trading Strategies for the Futures and Equities Markets. She has presented her research and lectured globally with companies like Bloomberg. In the world of professional trading and money management, Linda stands out from the crowd for three factors, performance, longevity, and consistency. Rise up for you and enjoy this episode. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for your time and joining us today. Very excited to talk with you about trading and money management. Absolutely. Um, I'd love for you to tell us about yourself and what you do professionally. I um, have been a, a uh, trader. Uh, it's a very specific niche job, actually, uh, since 1981. And uh, pretty much uh, started off working independently for myself. I had a backer, a partner that uh, sponsored me on the trading floor. And uh, from then, after 10 years of doing that, I became a CTA, which stands for Commodity Trading Advisor. Uh, you need to be registered if you are going to come into contact with other people's monies. And I primarily ran a program trading in the futures markets. So it's a very uh, small niche subclass of what is now deemed to be hedge funds, which actually uh, pertain more to uh, equities uh, than anything. However, I specialized in uh, running a short-term uh, discretionary trading program in the futures markets. I also um, became a CPO, which stands for Commodity Pool Operator, which uh, you need to be uh, registered in that area if you want to actually uh, put together and manage your own fund. So it's um, it's a, a reasonably well-regulated industry, but I would say that uh, the bulk of what I do uh, would be uh, more along the lines of what anybody could do, and that is trading futures or stocks for their own account. And uh, I, I think I um, have a reputation of being more technically oriented, so I do not look at things like uh, the fundamentals or uh, earnings or uh, uh, different um, extraneous information. I pretty much rely on uh, price and derivatives of price and uh, initial support and resistance levels, and some good old-fashioned technical analysis uh, by which I uh, make my trades. 
Okay. And can you, I know that you've, um, you know, you mentioned in our previous communication that you've um, had a journey and how you got here. Do you mind talking with a little bit with us about your journey and how you refuse to kind of let, you know, different areas of your life get in the way of your success? Um, you know, I think it really is uh, similar to um, entry into uh, many businesses. A lot of it's just uh, persistency and it takes a uh, quite a bit of determination, uh, you know, you never get through on your first try, so I'm sure that something uh, that people could relate to easily would be the uh, person that aspires to be an actress, or a singer, or uh, for that matter, any performance-oriented discipline, you know, there it, it takes a uh, quite a bit of persistency uh, and trial and error um, before you actually uh, succeed and uh, make your way. Um, uh, the uh, area that I'm in, uh, trading in the financial markets, really came from a, a bent to um, uh, be my own boss and make my own living by my own hand. And I uh, foresaw that there could potentially be uh, more upside to a, uh, a, a business, you know, in trading and the markets uh, than perhaps uh, salary jobs elsewhere and uh, of course you know there's cons to that as well <laughs> many challenging early years as well um, but I think it uh, also came from the fact that I was the eldest of, of four children and uh, probably a little bit more of a, of a uh, alpha type of person um, uh, with a streak of stubbornness if you will, uh, by George, I, I was uh, going to make some money. And it didn't matter to me if I was doing babysitting jobs or, uh, you know, uh, trimming the neighbor's hedges or uh, anything under the sun I could do. It just felt good to uh, have my own little uh, sock stash. I used to, you know, when I was a kid, I used to save all my pennies and put them in a sock and hide it between my mattresses, you know, because uh, <laughs> my family situation, it was, a, it, was, it was quite tight, you know, four kids, middle class, and, and my um, sister was severely uh, handicapped and challenged, so I think a lot of my parents' resources, both time and energy-wise, uh, were devoted uh, towards caring for her. But this was my secret little uh, stash, and I said great pride uh, that I could uh, somehow come up with my own means there. So um, I always had that little uh, side to myself. Uh, absolutely. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit? So you dove into the trading world. What got you into, what got you into that field specifically? You know, that was a, a roundabout thing. I didn't really even know that it existed at the time, and that was uh, trading on the floor of the uh, Pacific Coast Stock Exchange. But I, uh, I moved to San Francisco and thought that I would become a stockbroker. And, of course, all the firms looking at a 22-year-old uh, female thought otherwise. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I, I don't think I was even hired for a secretarial job in that type of field. So I ended up getting a job at a firm called Crown Veiler Box, which is a uh, paper company, of all things, in their uh, accounting department. And it happened to be right across the street from the Pacific Coast Stock Exchange. So I could see the traders streaming out 
uh, mid-morning as they went to get their lunch or breakfast, and I befriended one of them and found out a bit more about that type of environment. And again, my initial draw had been towards uh, a field where I could uh, make my uh, way by my own uh, wherewithal, if, if you were. So I, uh, I ended up becoming a, a trader on the floor through his backing. And uh, it's definitely uh, a school of learn the hard way and trial and error and many expensive lessons, as is probably the case in uh, many, many professions. Right. But I love that you saw an opportunity and you took it. The fact that it was across the street, you know, you built a connection with somebody that worked there and then you made your way in, which is great. A lot of people, I think, miss that boat sometimes. They think that once they're in a specific field, they're stuck there as opposed to continuing to reach their goal of what they really want. Yes, it wasn't that I had any knowledge that this is what I wanted to be. I befriended a, a trader, and um, he, you know, we became, we played tennis, you know, in the afternoon, and, and I asked him to describe what he did, and uh, I said, oh, I think I can do that. I bet I can do that. So it wasn't like I necessarily thought this out, but I think a lot of times you have the seeds in your head that you, uh, you know, you are drawn to a particular area or profession, uh, and then it's just uh, the universe provides the opening for you. So in this case, it wasn't like I thought specifically to become a trader on the floor. It's just that I had a passion for the financial market, you know, and uh, through a friendship, you know, it, the seeds in my head were like, you know, I think I can do that too. And I was in the process of applying to get my MBA at the time, and I thought, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just give it a go. You know, I asked if he would back me. And um, uh, I thought, well, I'll just give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, I'll go back and get my MBA. And, of course, I had been on the floor for about three months. And I was the general partner of this little partnership that we formed. And I got caught up in quite an unfortunate uh, situation, a takeover situation, and not only did I lose all the money I had made, which wasn't a huge amount, but I lost the uh, account and then went into the red, okay? So now I owed money to a clearing firm since I was the general partner. And uh, that took me five years to pay off. So I sort of more or less became an indentured servant to the business, not necessarily by choice. Right. So a lot of, that's a good point that you brought up there. A, a lot of people are intimidated by money and the idea of losing it and how to manage it. And you, you know, you just told us about how you, there was a wrong turn there and, and you, and that happened to you specifically women have that intimidation. How do we deal with that? And how do we overcome that? I think there's three things to understand. And the first is that, um, risk is not something that's, uh, suited for most people. Many people, um, male and female, have so much they can offer, offer to, uh, you know, uh, society or, you know, arts or medicine, so many different ways. It doesn't have to be something that involves risk, per se. And so everybody has to find their own medium of comfort. So uh, with that said, it's not like everybody needs to pursue being a, a, a trader or in the financial field. Perhaps that's really only appropriate for 10% of the people. So if you don't fall into that category, uh, my suggestions would be, first of all, um, 
knowledge is always helpful, getting the knowledge of the basics. And there's wonderful advisors out there that once you've achieved some type of proficiency in your field where you've saved money, you know, there's always people out there that will oversee it uh, for you or help, you know, help advise you some places to put it. The second thing is education. There's many different sources out there, especially online, where you can simply spend one evening reading up on some very basic common sense things. And I think that's the key. Just keep it relegated to the uh, realm of common sense. And that means be conservative uh, and always you know, stay in a situation where you can sleep. If you think if my worst case scenario is something that's going to cause me distress, don't put yourself in that position. And then lastly, if you are one of those people who are more aggressive and feel comfortable taking risk, and by that, that means that if you do lose some money in, in an investment, you can sleep with that, um, then the way to go about it is put it in the format of a game. And instead of thinking about the dollar perspective of things, if you uh, are one of those people that can frame something out in terms of a game, it makes it so much more palatable. So, for example, I tell traders that instead of thinking, oh, I lost or made $1,000, you know, trading for the week uh, or the day, uh, instead you're thinking, I made X points or I made five tips, that type of framework, and I just had four winning days in a row and two losing days in a row, and that's perfectly acceptable and my wins were bigger than my losers. So that type of thinking is very much oriented towards a game theory type of background. And these are the same people that enjoy playing uh, cards, be it blackjack, poker, bridge, uh, that type of mindset. And um, so if you're familiar at all with, with bridge, you know sometimes that you are dealt good hands and sometimes you are dealt bad hands. And you just try and play each hand the best you can given with the cards that you're dealt. Does that make sense? That's an appropriate analogy for many areas in life, understanding that, uh, you know, we are always dealt in perfect hands, be it, you know, in the markets or a profession or whatever it might be, and sometimes you're in a situation where you can play hands more aggressively and take a little bit more risk. And other times it's best just to pull in the horns and wait until you actually see your spot. So very much, again, back towards playing a tennis game. A lot of what we do in life is just keeping the ball in play. You know, we're not trying to make any risky shots. You're just keeping the game going and the ball in play, and you're just waiting for that one opening. Uh, and it, it really doesn't happen as often as many people would think. But then you uh, have a chance to capitalize on something. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And would you, I mean, you pretty much said it as the first thing, but you would definitely suggest that if somebody is a risk taker to maybe get a second or third opinion before they jump on that? No, not at all. Uh, I think if you're in a business where you're taking risk, I think that you need to be self-reliant. Okay. And uh, the people that seek out confirmation from multiple sources are probably uh, not well suited. More insecure. Um, things that are risk. It's up to you to educate yourself, have developed your own homework or business plan, uh, and have done your own research 
Uh, and then that's what's going to give you the confidence to take risk, and only you will then know how to manage it. If I'm seeking out the opinion from somebody else, I've just put myself into a situation where I don't know if they're right or they're wrong, and they're certainly not going to be able to manage something uh, according to my risk profile. So uh, I think that, again, the people that assume risk need to be uh, have a certain self-reliance and not be waiting for uh, the okay nod from other people. Okay, that's a, that's a great point. Thank you for saying that. So I know you, you spoke a little bit earlier about how when you initially moved up to San Francisco to get in the field, you said that not many people uh, were even paying mind to you as a female in that industry. What other barriers have you come across, if any? Well, that's the lovely thing about our profession now is that there really are no barriers. I would just say that for some people, the initial barrier might be getting a certain amount of, of capital or critical mass to, to work with. But, um, it's a bottom line business, and people don't care if you're a male or a female. Uh, if you produce, it's a bottom line business. And in fact, when I was on the trading floor, I think you could find just as many positives being a female. You know, if you smile and, and are pleasant to guys, I think they take a certain satisfaction out of going their way to help you out a little bit, almost as if you were a, a little sister or something. Whereas uh, if you were a new male trying to encroach on their turf in the trading pit, you know, they, they could be pretty <laughs> brutal, you know, with their harassment Definitely. and teasing. So uh, I think that for every uh, negative, you can say there's a positive. And even uh, as a money manager, when I was raising capital, the first thing that they always look at is performance. And then, uh, you know, everybody needs to have a certain amount of of diversification if they're a portfolio manager that has 10 managers or traders underneath them you know if eight are guys they're going to go out of their way to perhaps look for one or two females to keep an open mind and, and you know there, there's a lot of uh, very wealthy very wealthy women out there and, and uh, they want to uh, see that their money is also worked by females as well as men so I find just as many pluses as, as negatives. You know, truly, I think that, um, you know, even in Chicago, here's a good example for you. I look at some of this amazing architecture that we have in this fabulous city and a very unique building that went up was called the Aqua Building. It's a condo building with hotels on the bottom, a very beautiful, interesting building uh, designed by a female architect. And now there's a new building that's going to go up. It's a billion dollars. It's financed by the uh, wealthiest uh, man in China. And uh, a billion dollar uh, condo building that's going to be the tallest in the city. It's going to be higher than Trump's. And guess what? The female architect won the bid for the building. So uh, truly, wow. uh, I, I think that you have to go through uh, feeling the strength of your own talents. And um, I, I think it will be a hindrance to you if you are equally guilty of falling into a gender trap. Just keep an open mind, and you're a person, and you have many strengths to offer. And uh, every, every negative that you could see that could be a, 
uh, a barrier to entry in a male-dominated field, you can equally turn that into a positive just because you are a female. I love that you said that. Like you said, that mental trap of, you know, thinking that maybe you're less than and that you cannot do something because you're female. You're going to box, you're going to be equally guilty of boxing yourself into uh, the corner that you're trying to avoid. It's a self-manifesting negative mentality. You know, I really think that the energy that you put out there and what you believe, uh, you know, will manifest itself in the universe. So you have to go. Absolutely. Yes. In a very, in a very positive way. I love that. Thank you so much. I just have a few more questions here that are, um, I would say, more about yourself. Can you tell us one thing that you've accomplished that you're proud of that maybe most people wouldn't know about? Hmm. Boy, that's a pretty broad, uh, <laughs> a broad thing. You know, I, I, I just am, uh, I, I feel that I uh, have really given a lot of, of education and help and emails and advice and uh, things behind the scene, uh, encouragement to others. Um, I guess payback for some of the encouragement people gave me and a few lucky breaks that I had early on. Uh, I've always gone out of my way to uh, uh, help people individually and, and you know, in- encourage them. And um, so it's not one major, uh, one major accomplishment or, or task. It's, it's just a cumulative uh, philosophy of, of trying to spread... Uh, you know, a message of positive thinking, if you will, not to sound cliche. No, absolutely. And what's one thing that you specifically do in your, like, do you, do you have a morning routine or something that you do in your life to help you get, you know, a more of a positive rise each day? I um, am not one of those totally uh, disciplined, anal retentive, routine uh, people. In fact, I, I tend to be the opposite. If anything, that would be my particular Achilles heel, is not being as attentive to the details as perhaps somebody else might be. And instead, I'm, I'm more of a conceptual, you know, big thinker, oh, I, I can do it no matter what without really uh, right. all the little things that need to be done along the way. So I have a tendency to overcommit myself. I would just say that for myself, um, I would say the most important thing for me that makes a difference, which again, I don't do every day, but is, is when I exercise and I'm not a cardio person, I, uh, I like lifting weights. And it just relieves stress. It gets the endorphins going. For me, it's a little bit of my meditation because I can sit there and, you know, even if I'm lifting a five-pound dumbbell, I can count out like 10 reps, you know, four times, and that's my little uh, meditation. And I've just found that um, when I'm able to do that three or four times a week, even if it's just for 30 minutes, it makes uh, such a difference not only to my energy level uh, but my mood and um you know, it's one of the things that takes my mind off work. And I've noticed that with just about uh, everybody in my business, is that it's really essential to have something outside your profession that you do. You have to make time for it. And if it's physical, I think it's all the more better. It can, it can be going for a, a walk every morning with a good friend. It can be uh, hitting a tennis ball. It can be going to the gym. Uh, it can be gardening. Uh, it just something uh, sort of where you can have a single-minded focus 
and yet it's physical at the same time, I, I think is, for me, uh, probably the most important thing. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I'm 100% on that one. Thank you again, Linda, for joining us today. Um, I loved our conversation. Do you have any last message maybe for our listeners that you'd like to share? I, uh, I went through life initially uh, in, in my earlier years as a little bit more of a loner, and um, I didn't have so many female friends. I, I, I spent a lot of hours doing my research and, uh, you know, uh, trying to, to create my own program, and I have to say that um, having female friends and just talking with females has become so much more important in my life. And uh, and to to me, you know, just chatting with you on Skype, that's very uplifting for me. And um, thank you. Likewise. Enjoy it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us. And uh, if you guys would like to stay connected to Linda and have questions on trading or money management, you can go ahead and reach her at www.lindarashkid.net. I'll go ahead and put that in the feed so you have the spelling of her name. Thank you again for joining us today, guys. It's been a pleasure. Don't forget to check us out at our website, www.riseupforyou.com, for various articles and our podcast that you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter and Rise Up For You, as well as Periscope and Instagram. We're kind of everywhere now, which is awesome. Also, if you know anybody that would enjoy these podcasts, please share with your friends. Help us spread the knowledge and empowerment globally, not only nationally, but globally. Thank you again. Rise up for you. Be better today than yesterday and prepare for a greater tomorrow. Tomorrow.